Geraldo Hirachi. Geraldo Ferracci? Either way you look at it. That's my Ferracci. Yeah. Welcome back to the show. It is Pit Pass Motor Racing Weekly. Scott Casper, Tony Wank, uh, PJ Duran in studio. Eddie Kunlikamp in our, uh, our home-based offices and studios in advanced North Carolina. In studio also, we have a very special guest and Jesse Guest. Jesse, how are you? I'm doing well today. You're part of the uh, United States Air Force, right? Uh, yeah, that's correct. And... Uh, are you on are you on 24-hour standby with the hurricane and the hurricane recovery uh, efforts yeah they asked for uh, availability for people to go down and uh, potentially evacuate people out um, just due to the conditions but Florida's out of the picture now I mean it's it's standard off the coast of Orlando and obviously if you're listening to this in the past tense it's okay but it's off the coast <laughs> of Florida so what about the chances of the u.s military being called in to assist those that are in desperate need in the bahamas uh it's pretty likely i mean uh we'll kind of support wherever i mean we've gone to other countries before just to help out after disasters um so it makes it kind of nice well our thoughts and prayers are with those folks in in uh, the bahamas they didn't just get hit hard they got hit hard forever and uh five deaths that we know of so far and uh, we look forward to uh, hearing some positive news out of the Bahamas. And uh, anyway, uh, if you missed any part of hour number one uh, earlier anyway, Nick McFadden and Jake Lewis do up in hour number two. Ashton Yates, Jason Griffin also guesting in hour number one. But we start the program with Michael Locke. Michael, how are you? I'm very well. How are you doing, guys? Well, we're good. But what do we got to do uh, to 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 get uh, you to work with Tony on this event so we don't have <laughs> second uh, secondary uh, dates so we get more people out to both of us? Let's just get right to it, Michael. Let's get there, right there. We're uh, we're working on a Springfield solution for the long term. <laughs> what are you thinking? <laughs> what what direction are you going to go with that event? You think? Well, you know, it's interesting. We had. Um, we had a rain-affected program in, uh, in May, right. um, and that caused us to um, double up for Labor Day weekend uh, and, and run a doubleheader on, uh, on the mile. And then we got a rain-affected program this weekend as well and, and have ended up running um, over a, a very long weekend, and it stretches the resources of everybody. And, um, you know, weather's been a real issue this year. Um, after three relatively easy years, I think we, we got payback this year. So we're looking at options for um, Springfield for the long term and discussing with Dave and uh, and Tom Rakiso, uh, who are the promoters there, on what we might do to, um, you know, to protect and preserve what is probably the most famous AFT race on the calendar. Um, and it's possible that we will uh, enshrine um, doing a double header in uh, on the Labor Day weekend um, from here on as possible is one of the options we're looking at. Yeah, that's and what Scott's referring to is I uh, took over an event that's 31 years old. That's three hours from Springfield, and the, and the tradition has been Davenport Friday night, head over to uh, Springfield on Saturday, and now we've got vintage racing. And that's what we do in Davenport. It's a half, vintage half mile, and, and we had George Roder and, and uh, David Durrell, Chris Carr, a bunch of bunch of old geezers racing it, and the crowd <laughs> loves it. And uh, the bummer is, is it's it's in conjunction with a swap meet. And I know AFT doesn't care, but I do, and I know the fans do. That may be strong. That may be a strong. Well, I maybe think they, they do. probably do care. Well, let him let him respond. But I I don't think. Um, you know, it's 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 in conjunction with a big swap meet, so the, the changing my date isn't really an option for me. Um, and it's 
it's 31 years old and i realize it's it's different racing but the fans are the same guys you know what i mean and without the fans that event will die well what do we, what do we have to do to be more um uh you know fr- I, I think friendly I, I, why can't we put it under the umbrella and have it like a licensed event i don't think we need well, a license i think i, think I just problem, need no competition the uh, your, your pro- well we're not competition um uh, I think your problem is that um, uh, Steve Nace runs the All Star program on the Friday. Um, we run, uh, we run obviously over the weekend on the miles. Steve runs on the short track or the TT on the Friday night, um, and uh, we've been a guest class with our singles there for the last couple of years. Um, but it's not our event; it's Steve Nace's event, and we run we run the mile obviously over the weekend. And what we might be doing in the future is running. Um, just once a year, which is Labor Day weekend, rather than twice a year, uh, and running the Saturday and, and, and Sunday events. Um, so that that's one of the options we're looking at. Uh, Michael Locke, our guest, and uh, American Flat Track AFT. If you're uh, if you're just tuning in, he is the chief executive officer of AFT. Made so in 2015, and the difference between 2015 and today has been remarkable. Not only have the numbers in the stands gone up, the competition level has gone up as well. Uh, in the pits, it's very obvious. Chris Carr got out at the right time. Um, <laughs> and don't tell Chris because Chris cries any time I talk to him. But I think, um, and Michael, would you agree that we're seeing more support uh, for flat track from the industry itself, but we're also seeing better and more capable riders? Agree or disagree? I think the things are hand in glove. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, we, we said back in 2015 that we needed the support and the resources and the muscle of the OEMs to get involved in this sport if we were going to do something interesting with it for the long term. And really, only Harley-Davidson had supported the sport consistently over the last 30 years, and and bless them for doing it, but it's not enough. Um, And so now, with um, the direct or indirect factory support from Harley and Indian and Yamaha and Honda and KTM and Husqvarna... um, uh, and others to come, uh, I think we've got something now that um, that we can really scale, and we can take to new fans. Sure. Uh, and we, in fact, we can get returning fans. People, who, The number of people I spoke to at Springfield this weekend who had either never been to Springfield or hadn't been for years... Oh, my goodness. Um, ...was remarkable, was absolutely remarkable. So I think all these things go hand in glove, and um, you look at an athlete like uh, Jared Meese, Mm. Um, Jared is a professional. Yep. Um, he trains properly. He eats properly. He's totally focused. Um, and, and he wins. Um, and I think that now that it's worth winning, um, I think that, uh, that's breeding an attitude throughout the, uh, the race paddock, both in the twins class and in the singles class. Well put, um, let's go to Tony. Yeah. Tony, I know that uh, we've got a lot to accomplish here, but you want to go to PJ instead? Sure. Uh, let's go to PJ. I'm sorry, PJ. Well, that's all right. Michael, we've talked to you in the past, uh, earlier in your tenure with AFT. Um, clearly, I am sure you had goals that we did and did not discuss. Uh, from your perspective, now that you're a couple years on, what uh, what goals have you left uh, perhaps unmet? Because, again, clearly there is a great amount of momentum Um in the AFT paddock and in the AFT sport itself, uh, what goals have, that you've set are you are you feeling perhaps have been left unmet? I think we've not yet realized um, fully the commercial scaling of the sport. What we've done is um, 
at series level, we made a tremendous number of investments, some tactical, some strategic, uh, in changing classes, in uh, growing the series, taking it to new venues, investing in a TV show, investing in uh, streaming and social media and all sorts of new avenues to, to create a new fan base. Um, but I keep using the word investment. Right. What we haven't done is we haven't counted the reward on that yet. Um, and, and I think you'd find that um, uh, OEMs who got involved in the sport would say they're getting a good return on the investment. They're getting a lot of eyeballs on the sport for the amount of money they put in. And I think you would also hear some of the riders say um, they're compensated in a way now that they never have been before. Mm-hmm. So we made a start. But the promoters of the sport um, are still on fairly skinny margins. Um, and the series itself, which has made the biggest um, uh, level of investment, certainly has not seen a return on it yet. Um, so goals for me, um, uh, you know, both at operational level, but also at, um, uh, at the level of running a commercial business are that we still need to scale further. Uh, and we scaled, you know, 50-fold in five years in terms of the number of fans we have following the sport. Um, but we haven't monetized that yet. It's been important first to get the momentum uh, to grow the sport and get people excited in it. But down the road, we need to turn it into a business as well. For sure. And and Michael, the the uh, I got to tell you, overwhelmingly, the talk has been: What do you think of whether it was at Davenport or Springfield this weekend? What do you guys think of the sixteen rider program? Can you explain that? And we and I didn't want to wait till the end of that segment, but. We are kind of running out of time. If you can explain that, because sure. everybody's losing their minds over this, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, look, well, I think some people are losing their minds quite loudly, um, <laughs> which, which which sounds like everybody's losing their mind. Um, but you know, uh, I think perspective is the key word here. Um, back, at, we talk about 2015. In 2015, we were presiding over a sport that was taking a long, slow walk into the night. Yeah. And had been for 25 years. And to some, some people may have forgotten that time, um, or the speed with which we've instituted change may, um, uh, may have made people have a, a short-term memory loss. But we had a sport that uh, was not going in the right direction and was, um, was falling off a cliff. Um, so, so fast forward, here we are four years later, and we have 300,000 pairs of eyeballs watching every single round. Um, of our championship, whether it be ticket sales or TV or, or, or streaming. Um, we have uh, half a dozen manufacturers involved in the sport and more to come. We have uh, rider talent, which is, um, uh, which is, which is increasing dramatically. Um, but we are ready for the next hurdle. And the next hurdle is the new contract um, that we're going to sign with our broadcast partner, NBC. Up until now, we have unbelievably scaled a sport to have good ratings numbers with tape right. delay. I don't know how many of you guys watch tape delayed sport. I don't know anyone who watches tape delayed sport. Um, everybody right. wants to watch live sport. And so the discussions we're having with NBC are about how do we move towards a scenario where we can selectively run live main event. But, but to In be fair, to Michael, that, there's, there's a lot of what NBC does that is not live. Most of it is delayed, especially racing. Yeah, and it doesn't get very high ratings. No, it doesn't. That's the biggest problem. My shows are always tape delayed. You yeah. know, um, we we we've done we've done no TV for a long time. Now we've done tape delay TV, uh, and we've grown it dramatically. But mm-hmm. if we want to scale this sport so that the athletes get compensated 
um, uh, fairly, right. like they do in Supercross. Um, if we want the OEMs to stay in the sport, if we want the team owners to get a return, I mean, most of the big team owners, it's a hobby for them. And bless them right. for investing in our sport. But I don't want them to have to dip their hand further and further into their pocket. I don't want the promoters to hold their breath and hope that it doesn't rain. So if we're to secure a uh, future for the sport, and, you know, ultimately my job is not flag to flag. My job's making sure we're all here tomorrow. Right. Um, and and to, in order to do that, I need to be able to work towards what a experienced broadcast partner, Thank NBC, you. who who um, who who really now I think are becoming the default choice for sports in America, both uh, on the network and on uh, SN. Well, we've been the they default part of the sport for years. Friend, so <laughs> we, we are default yeah, uh, by, are. by nature. <laughs> We're talking with Michael Locke, one of the great guys of our sport. We look to him for great leadership. We go back to Tony Wink to kind of wrap up, Tony. Uh, I just, I just, uh, y- you make a good point, Michael. Some people are loudly losing their minds rather than uh, <laughs> everybody because it always seems like when people are vocal, that that seems to be the the majority. But it, well, that's what people focus on. Sure. Um, the 16 rider program the the teams will will buy in if i'm if i'm not mistaken correct me if i'm wrong the teams buy in for whatever it costs and i don't know and maybe you could tell us maybe it's not public sure. for public but sure. i'm just curious how many of them have have purchased for the super twins for 2020 uh, well in in the in the era of fake news let me set you guys straight a little bit. <laughs> um we we have not actually yet published the prospectus um, wow. We're still in the discussion stage, both with manufacturers, um, the broadcaster, and the significant teams. We outlined a we outlined a white paper saying what we wanted to do. We've sure. been taking feedback, some of it very supportive, some of it very critical. That's the nature of the beast. And we will publish the prospectus to the teams and the OEMs probably by the end of this week, or maybe just after the Williams Grove event coming up. And in that, we will outline what we see as the vision for the future. And basically, it will offer three tiers for the Super Twins class. Teams that want to sign up for everything, all the partnership, all the uh, commercial support that we can offer. Mm-hmm. Um, so they can go sell it. Broadcast. Yeah, absolutely, because they need to do That's that. That's smart. Yeah. Um, so that will be tier A. Tier B will be teams who want to sign up for the whole season and secure their grid spot, but want to cherry pick those commercial services. They can take as many as they like. They can take as few as they like. But the contract between them and us will be, you turn up and we'll take care of you. And then we're going to offer a third tier. So tier C. maybe Yeah, tier C, which we will call wildcard teams. Teams who want to do selected events, um, want to come along for the big miles or want to come along for some of the specialist events like the TTs. And they will not be part of the whole series. Um, uh, but they can sign up in advance for wildcard slots and secure okay. those. And they will not get all of the advantages of all the marketing, but maybe they don't want it. So I, th- I think we'll cover everybody. I know there's a lot of noise out there. I um, think there's a hunt think that, that, There's a hunt going on, though, and I think you guys are right on topic. I really do. Well, this, this, is, our, this is our job. Uh, yeah. we, we have to do this. And, and there are a lot of people who like to uh, take a sentence or a word out of context and jump up and down on it. I mean, the same people jumped up and down when we reorganized the series into singles and twins. That was never going to float, sure. you know, as many of them were concerned, and, and that's ancient history. Um, and, and we've, in, and we've uh, instituted a number of upgrades and improvements to modernize the sport. And 
You know, there is no alternative to modernizing the sport. I, I guarantee you that. We can choose different methods on how we do it, but we have to do it. Well, here's the deal. Uh, and, We're everybody, and everybody will, I think, everybody will see... When we uh, when we execute what we're doing, you'll see you'll um, and, receive and in this form. Michael. You'll you'll receive a lot less pushback as long as uh, the phone rings on our end for Tony and I to be a part of the broadcast package because <laughs> that's what people want to hear. They want to hear the weird, the wacky. I don't want to have to go to the races. You don't. If that's no. what you just volunteered me for. I want to go to the races, but I don't want to have to go to the races. But you get a cool that's shirt, dude. You get a cool shirt. You get a microphone with a flag on it. Oh, I do. Oh yeah, I'm in. Yeah. So I mean, sign me up, Michael. And you get a free. Uh, Parking? Do we park, get parking? Parking and a free uh, parking? soft pretzel. Shoo. Yeah, Michael, it's always good to talk to you. You have our uh, backing and our support for whatever that means to you and the, and the crew, but uh, we love what you're doing. I'm sorry about the weekend. The news out there, of course, Springfield looking to put a hard uh, top over the track, so weather will not be an issue in the future. Uh, <laughs> we're looking forward to seeing what that uh, how that transpires. But always good to talk to you, my brother. Keep up the good work, okay? All right, guys, you too. Nice talking to you. That's one of the uh, true leaders in our sport, Michael Locke. Running should be simple. Just put on your shoes and go. And yet, when you try to learn about how to get better at it, especially as you age, you're confronted with conflicting advice, complicated workouts, and confusing nutrition trends that just won't work for you. On The Planted Runner, I'll share exactly how to run faster, longer, and feel great doing it at any age because you don't have time to waste. I'm Coach Claire Bartholik, and I went from not running at all in my late 30s to finishing a marathon in 2.58 at age 42, all on a plant-based diet. I've helped hundreds of runners achieve new personal records well into their 60s and even 70s with science-back training, plant-based nutrition, and proven mental strength techniques. Each episode of The Planted Runner is like a private coaching session on the run where you'll learn from me and the guests I interview. You'll get actionable lessons to help you become a better runner every week and reach goals that you never thought possible. Whether you're training for your first 5K or your 50th marathon, take along the planted runner on your next run. Let me show you how your best running is still ahead of you. 